0: the season finale of Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm Audrey Leach.
1: We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Two Pink Pictures, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them.
0: We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are?
1: I'm gonna need a drum roll. <laughs> Today we are talking about 2006's Aquamarine.
2: For two best friends who needed a miracle. I'm sorry, sweetheart, but we're still moving. How about we start packing the room? So how about I live here with Claire till I'm 18? Something magical is about to happen. Boo. You're um, mermaid. I have to find love. We don't have it where I'm from. The only way I can get out of my wedding is if I can prove to my dad that love exists. I only get three days. Well, I want love. <laughs> With him. Raymond? Raymond. Raymond's way too popular. If you help a mermaid, you get a wish.
1: Love of our
0: lives. We left this movie till the very end for a good reason. It's a staple. The peak of the genre. (laughs) I have a framed aquamarine poster over my desk that Audrey got me for
1: Christmas this past year. It's important. It's very important. I don't know at what point this movie went from something that we just watched in the car a lot to the most important facet of our being.
0: (laughs) But... It happened. At some
1: point, it did bridge that gap. Yeah, I think
0: sometime during college, I realized that it was, like, the best movie ever because I tried to write, like, a musical for young audiences that was Aquamarine, uh, but I couldn't find it As composer. in an
1: adaptation. Yes, an adaptation. Yes. And you have often, or maybe not often, but you have structured other things with Yes, the- oh my god, yeah. Yeah. So I made a. I have a dirty habit.
0: I made a beat sheet. And a beat sheet, for those who do not know, is like, it's basically just an outline, but with plot points. I made a beat sheet of Aquamarine, and I use it as a template for playwriting all the time because it calms me dramatic down. Dramatic
1: and narrative stories.
0: <laughs> They just follow Aquamarine. Not actually, but I find it. I I uh, was writing a play that was supposed to be reminiscent of teen movies, and so I thought Aquamarine would be a good template to follow, and I think that it was. I think it is. We don't know how this one's going to end tonight, emotionally, especially because it's the last episode of our first season. Yeah. But, you know, we know you'll be there with us, and you'll be there for us, and we'll just see what happens. Holding our metaphorical hands. Yes. <laughs> So, shall we dive into the facts? Yes. Dive in. Mm -hmm. Dive into the facts?
1: Oh, yes. Splish, splashing into the facts.
0: (laughs) So, this movie premiered on March 3rd, 2006, in theaters. It was directed by, excuse me, I said this movie, (laughs) Uh Aquamarine premiered in theaters on March 3rd, 2006, and was directed by Elizabeth Allen Rosenbaum. You can tell this movie has a female director, I think.
1: I mean, I've thought that about a lot of movies, and then you look it up and it's not. So, well, sometimes, yes, but... I appreciate her
0: contributions, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Same. Um, She's primarily known for directing Dead to Me great TV show, Why Women Kill, Empire, and a dash of Pretty Little Liars. Seems like she's got a pretty good career going for herself.
1: Definitely. Underrated.
0: Yes. Aquamarine was based on the novel written by Alice Hoffman, who, it turns out, wrote the novels Independence Day and Practical Magic, both of which are really successful movies based off of her novels. So she's got that thing. Her novels have that thing.
1: That hot IP thing. Yes,
0: we. If only we could all be as uh, <laughs> as rich as her, probably. Yeah. Um, hopefully, she gets a lot of royalties. Yeah. I don't know. Man. Independence Day and Practical Magic; those are two pretty big ones. Mm-hmm. Aquamarine, the sleeper hit. <laughs> I don't know. The screenplay was written by two people. Uh, First of all, we have John Quaintance, who wrote Hot Pursuit, which I wanted to include because Audrey has mentioned Hot Pursuit on the show before. We don't need to go into it. (laughs) Um, He was the executive producer of Will & Grace for a bunch of episodes and Workaholics. And this man wrote Material Girls. So we've come full circle.
1: We've uh, found the man behind the mess. I truly – it makes no sense that one human being could be this versatile. (laughs) In a bad way
0: and the best way ever. Yes, I fully agree. And then the other writer of the screenplay is Jessica Bendinger. This woman is the culture that we are talking about. She wrote Bring It On, Stick It, and First Daughter, among many other movies of the genre. And she also was a creative consultant for a lot of Sex in the City episodes. And I don't know what that That's means. Cool.
1: Do you know what that means? Um, uh, I think it could mean a lot of things, actually. The writers might, like, bring her in every once in a while to look over things they've done or, yeah, I don't really know. That's just a guess. We should hunt down Jessica Bendinger and ask her. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I bet she would come on this show. I have a running list of people that I'm going to contact <laughs> to uh, talk to us. Break from the format, but, you know, whatever. Cinematography for this movie, Aquamarine, was by Brian J. Breheny. He also did Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which... Is fun. And uh, this whole movie was shot in Australia, and I'm guessing that Brian was Australian because Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, is very Australian. Yeah,
1: probably. Just a guess. Audrey, would you like to take us into the world of Rotten Tomatoes right now? Yes, of course, as always. (laughs) The Rotten Tomatoes critic score is 51%. This, I will not accept. I agree. Um, um, I,
0: and I compiled some reviews that I think will explain why right. the rating was the way it is. I'll, I'll play the role of Moira McDonald from the Seattle Times to okay. get us started. Aquamarine isn't good enough to be a teen classic, but its audience will leave
1: the theater happy. Which, I have to say, way too soon to talk, Moira. Yeah, you can't say that right after you've seen it. Yeah. Nobody thought that about Bring It On either. Right. All right, Moira. Okay. Um, you're up next. The next review. Little girls and salty sea dogs alike have long been held in thrall to the mermaid siren song. In Aquamarine, based on Alice Hoffman's book, the lady fish finds herself awash in the low tide of teen romantic comedy. What? That's not even a review. I know. I, I attribute that review to a
0: gross Review written by a man.
1: Yeah, uh, that's not even a review. I don't know what that
0: is. I didn't read the whole thing. I was just pulling those little quotes. Oh. (laughs) But that guy's a hater. Up next, we have Todd Hertz of Christianity Today. He said, This movie scores a major victory in reaching its audience with the all-too-important message that they are fine (laughs) just the way they are. Fine. Which, to me... (laughs) I don't really know if that's what this movie tells <laughs> that's you. That's literally not the message I at all. It, it is if you, like, are really paying too much attention to, like, the straight plot line. And or, like, the straight romantic plot
1: line. And to wishes. Like, yes, wishing for other things. Yeah,
0: Todd Hertz's read of this film is not mm. really at the, uh, it's not the core. depth that we need it to
1: be. And finally, we have a user review from Bethany. <laughs> A cute chick flick that also has you well up in tears of joy it wasn't as bad as people say, and it actually leaves you feeling really happy.
0: I thought that was like a very concise, good review. I can't
1: believe people were saying this was bad. I'm just, I'm so upset. It's
0: like there's a magical element, and it's a teen romantic comedy, like.
1: Truly what? That's rare. Yeah. Accept it. Accept it. I don't get And it. it's so well done, too. Yes. All right, but the audience score is 61%, so a 10% improvement between critic and audience. Thought it might be a little Mm -hmm. bit higher.
0: I also have a feeling that people go on there and rate it. I mean, this is just a fact. Like, you're way more likely to rate it on there if you hated it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, The budget for Aquamarine was $12 million. The domestic opening weekend brought in $8 million and ultimately crossed the $18 million line. So... They did well. Yeah. They did well. I mean, it's basically independent. (laughs) Why do you say that? Because of the budget? Yeah. Is that –
0: I like – okay, I have always been really bad at comprehending budgets for movies. Yeah, that's not a lot. And you can tell. (laughs) Yeah. In parts. You can see where they spent the money and where they did not spend the money. But that's part of what makes it so good. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, all right. The plot synopsis of Aquamarine. This one's actually pretty well written, even though it's like very weirdly written also. I remember looking this up before and being like, why is it written this way? In a dreary Florida beach resort village, luscious-limbed lifeguard Raymond is the main attraction for girls. Teenage buddies Claire and Haley become experts on him by observation, but never actually dare approach him. And after this, closing summer season will be separated as one's parents move to Australia. Then they find a storm washes up a sassy mermaid in a swimming pool who promises them a wish if they help her prove to Neptune love exists. And Raymond is the only creature resembling a love god. <laughs> That's so what? bad. This was actually really badly written. Yeah. I take that. I take back everything I've said.
1: Yeah. That's, it's not a dreary like resort village. It's not even English.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: This is not well written. It's not dreary.
0: I don't understand. Where oh, I see. Audrey, you know what time it is.
1: All right, our last and final tagline of season one. It doesn't disappoint. It's kind of bad, but... It does what it has to do. It is a fish out of water comedy. Actually, I think it is a little lackluster. (laughs) It
0: definitely is nothing compared to they've got one shot to show their spots. I think that was the best tagline. I think that's
1: the best one. That one was really good. The only other one that really sticks out in my mind well, She Rocks, She Rules. Yes. And um, From the Penthouse to the poorhouse. House. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like
0: there were other good ones, but those were the ones that, like, stay in the test of time. Yeah. I mean, the, and by the test of time, we mean, like, one week.
1: We <laughs> mean, like, no, like, four months, like, three months. I guess we've been so, doing yeah. Cheetah Girls was in the beginning-ish. I guess we have been
0: doing it for kind of a long time now. Yeah. Um. Okay, so now we're getting into the cast. So what I didn't realize when I compiled this is that there are f- only five American actors in this whole movie, yeah. um, but they are every relevant part. So mm-hmm. um, I have made a list here, unbeknownst to myself, of just the American actors in this movie.
1: So we're not purposefully leaving not, out the Australians. Yes, it was made by like Gold Coast Productions or something. Definitely an Australian production company. Yeah,
0: like it was very um, – of Australia, I guess, and you can also totally tell with like the adult actors that they are yeah. like struggling with their American their accents. accents. Like it's very noticeable. Uh-huh. Like there's one scene where Claire's grandma just like has a Scottish accent. Yeah, and she's you're like, like, what?
1: Girls, like, <laughs> she's like, we had to fire Raymond. <laughs> we had to fire Raymond. Yeah, and everyone's like, what? You know why? It's because she's struggling to say like her R's. She's like, yeah. What would she have said if it was Australian? I don't even know what that would sound like. like. That's a hard sentence. I think of uh,
0: of Courtney Act no, talking. What are you saying? Courtney What Act. are you
1: talking about? Uh, we had we had to fire Raymond. Yeah, but that sounds normal too. We had to fire <laughs> fire Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> but she just needed to say we had to fire Raymond. <laughs> yeah, that's she- hard for an Australian. Yeah, I bet. Fire Raymond. Yeah.
0: So in this cast, we have Emma Roberts as Claire. Um, she's now known for being in Ryan Murphy's inner ring, having been in like a billion seasons of American Horror Story and in Scream Queens. She always plays the exact same character, just like very archetypal, like spoiled, rich, like prissy, that type of vibe. But at the time that this movie came out, she was best known for being in Nancy Drew, those movies. And of course. Just one. One. Uh, which really made her like a staple of the Nickelodeon uh, home. Like if you watch Nickelodeon, you watched Unfabulous and you knew who she was. Uh,
1: But uh, you know what? I honestly feel like not many people, I never talk to people about Unfabulous. I actually watched part of an episode.
0: I watched part of an episode recently and it was like, still pretty good.
1: Yeah. But I just feel like when people think about Nick shows, they never think about Unfabulous. I know. I think it's because it didn't
0: actually last that long.
1: And it seems like a Disney show, but it's not. Yes. It's better.
0: Yes. <laughs> um. So, OK, we have Emma Roberts as Claire. She's like the shy, uh stuck in her shell, but like in a prissy, bratty way um friend. And then we have. She's not mean, though. She's not mean, but she's very like like she would be wearing like gingham if we she's were like in the
1: northeast. Type A.
0: Yeah. And then we have none other than Jojo as Haley. Um this was Jojo's film debut. It came out 2 months before RV, which is yeah. the second of only 3 movies she's ever been in. We
1: don't talk about RV.
0: Uh I didn't realize Robin Williams was in RV. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she was also, weirdly, in GBF, which we may potentially review in the next season if anyone wants us to do Please that. Please don't
1: make us. <laughs> Please don't. I've seen it. I want it. to.
0: I've you never seen, seen it. You haven't seen
1: it, though, so. I want to do
0: it. Um, but anyway, so JoJo is a queen, and she deserves so much more than she has based off her talent alone. If you don't know the sordid tale of JoJo's entire entertainment career being basically put on lockdown by her shitty original her contract. talent contract, um, you have some research to do. But um, basically, JoJo became famous in 2004 with her really big hit song, Leave, Get Out, which I know you know. If you're listening to this, you know it. And then she had another really big hit. That came out the summer after this movie came out in Too Little, Too Late. So one may even say that this movie may have been peak Jojo because, well, not to say she won't peak because I think she could still peak. But peak
1: hasn't happened yet.
0: Peak youth Jojo is this era, I would say. Yeah. She's really good in this movie and it makes me really sad that she's not in more things. We have Sarah Paxton as Aquamarine, The Mermaid. Fun fact, I don't know how legit this is, but apparently Jessica Simpson was offered this role and then she was like, I'm too old. Good. She was. Yeah. I would say Sarah Pacton's career has taken some weird turns that I can't really explain, but she's best known for Innkeepers, Aquamarine, and The Last House on the Left. She also was in Summerland uh, playing opposite of Jesse McCartney, (laughs) which I didn't even realize he was on
1: Summerland. You forgot Halloween Town. Oh, shit. You're right. That's really big. And um, Sleepover. I think she's I've in never Sleepover. never seen Sleepover. Yeah. Well, there you go. Sleepover. Cinema. Oh, yeah, we're fake. Sleepover. We're fake. <laughs> um,
0: that's really silly that I haven't seen that movie and we're called Sleepover Cinema. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently Sarah Paxton originally was cast as the villain of the film, but she, I guess, was like, I want to audition for Aquamarine because, like, I want to be a mermaid. And then Wait, what the it. heck?
1: She would not even be... I'm so glad it worked out that way. Yeah, me too. I was going to look it up and make sure she's in sleepover. Just double check that. Okay, I will.
0: (laughs) Um, And then coming up next, we have Jake McDormand as Raymond, the luscious limb lifeguard, and he is hot.
1: Yep. Jake McDormand
0: is one of those, like, timelessly hot men. Like
1: Jake Gyllenhaal.
0: I don't feel that way about Jake Gyllenhaal, but But I understand. You know,
1: I don't really either. Like, I don't think that he's even, like, top five of, like, all men. <laughs> but he does have—I saw him in person after a screening, and I was in the front row, and I was just looking at him, and I was like, timeless beauty. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Like, you can tell he has creams, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, creams and lotions. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, I—in my mind, like, Jake McDorman is, like, on the same— not quite on the same tier as Patrick Wilson, but close. Oh my
1: god, Patrick Wilson is like our niche, um, <laughs> niche like celebrity male crush. I like love
0: him. He's like the most normal person ever, but I think he's, he's so, so normal. He's so hot.
1: Yeah, Jake him. is. Jake is above Patrick, but listen, I don't feel that way. But I also just really love him. You don't think that. Jake is above Patrick I don't Wilson. know what
0: Jake's personality is like, but I, I feel, feel like he, I know what Patrick's is like.
1: I feel like Jake is a king, you know? I feel like... You mean to tell me that Patrick isn't the king? No, no. Patrick is a king. I'm just telling you... No, but you he's the king. ...that Jake is also a king. Okay. Would he be in Lady Bird if he wasn't a king? I'm would, not saying that he's Greta, not a king. Would Greta Gerwig cast him if he wasn't exceptional in every way? <laughs> As the hot teacher. We're having two different conversations here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we are not speaking to the same point. I just want to make everything about Patrick Wilson. Anyway, um, so Jake McDorman has also been in a lot of uh, gross man movies, including American Sniper. But he's also Mike and Shameless, a.k.a. the stable man we all want for Emmy Rossum's I Fiona. That. And now I understand the, why, why I'm connecting them because they've both played Emmy Rossum's love interest. Yeah. Um, He's also... Mr. Bruno and Lady Bird, as Audrey said. He was also apparently in What We Do in the Shadows. I don't really understand what that is. I thought it was a movie, but now it looks like it's a TV show.
1: I don't know. It sounds scary. And then Murphy
0: Brown. To me, that sounds like Mari, so I don't know what that is. No clue. We're really educated here. <laughs> um, and then rounding out the cast of Americans, we have Arielle Kebble as Cecilia Banks. She's really good in this movie. Yeah. I love her.
1: She looks old, admittedly. Yeah. But-
0: oh, Yeah. There's like so many takes for us to have yeah. in our – just the age gap is weird in this movie. But um, Arielle Kebble. while I have not seen her in anything since Aquamarine, is still booked and blessed. She was Lexi on Vampire Diaries, and she also was apparently a recurring character on Gilmore Girls. Yep, it's true. I didn't know because I weirdly haven't watched Hannah, Gilmore you,
1: Girls. You need to watch it. I know. Starting in September, watch it through the fall. Do you think it'll make me feel really cozy? It does. This is a fact. Like, All right. it truly will change you. Okay, I'm ready. And it's so relaxing. It's just easy to watch. Is it a good thing to have on, like, in the background? Mm-hmm. Very much so. I'm, like, really bad at committing
0: time to just, like, watching things.
1: Because here's the thing, like,
0: if I'm playing a game or something. Are you saying you're
1: unqualified for this podcast? No, no.
0: Because we watch it
1: <laughs> every time.
0: It's just hard for me to focus. You or like
1: I'll play a video game. Or you something don't need while to focus listening. on Gilmore Girls. <laughs> it literally does not require focus. Maybe if I just replace
0: ASMR with Gilmore Girls in my life, then it'll work.
1: It's a pretty quiet show. That would work. But I would personally, I would never give up my ASMR. Well, time I don't want to give Gilmore up my Girls, ASMR, but, but, but like the problem is that like we're so off topic. I don't care.
0: <laughs> we never do this.
2: We're normally so on topic.
0: Yeah. Um, normally. When I watch ASMR, I'll, like, be playing a video game or something, so I'll be doing two things at once. Or, like, to watch a dumb show, I feel like I have to be doing something productive at the same time. You know,
1: I think when I watched the bulk of Gilmore Girls was as I was getting ready. Yeah. Like, makeup and stuff. Maybe and I can just dressed.
0: make getting ready more part of my routine. Yeah. Since I'm going so many places now. Yeah. <laughs> Since we're so free now. Um, anyway. Anyway. Ariel. 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 Shout out to you. 2006, what was happening in our particular cultural sector? You already know. Um, we've been over we've this. We've been over this, but it's the year of Hannah Montana, high school musical, cowbells. Shit was alive. When this movie came out, I was in fifth grade and Audrey was in third. So I'm guessing we probably got it on DVD the summer after it came out. Yeah. Um, and Mermaid.
1: Sam's Club.
0: Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And mermaids were having a moment in this era. In fact, the man who made the tails for this movie also made them for H2O, which also led me to the fun fact of the H2O. (laughs) I literally was waiting because I knew you were going to say something.
1: H2O. Ricky, don't touch the water. Emma. (laughs) It led me to the fact that apparently
0: Emma Roberts had to take bike lessons for this movie and Sarah had to take a bunch of swim lessons, I Which guess.
1: leads us to the question. Like, I That just seems...
0: You know what, though? A lot of people don't know how to swim. Like, we take knowing how to swim for granted because of our lake upbringing, but I have, like, multiple close friends who don't know how to swim, who are, like,
1: taking lessons. I mean, I doggy paddled for a long time. It's not, I didn't know how to swim... Like I was you know what I'm saying? Yeah,
0: but you weren't in <laughs> but you're you're not wearing like a 300 pound tail. Oh,
1: oh absolutely. No, she's like But it's yeah. not like she was like in she, open waters. She like, would need to like learn the butterfly first and then the and then do it. Um okay, so
0: the last time I watched this movie was not literally that long like ago. three months ago. Yeah. Um I watched it with Una, who lives downstairs. Una, shout out to you. (laughs) It was with Una and Senna, my two friends. And it was really uh, joyous. We got GoPuff to bring us ice cream. It was a fun night. There's a lot of things I remember from the last time I watched it, but I'm not going to say any of them because we are going to talk about it after we
1: rewatch it. It's too fresh. We don't need to rehash. We don't need to rehash beforehand. Yes. If you haven't seen Aquamarine, of all the episodes we've ever done, I plead with you this is the time that you pause this podcast, and this is the one that you got to tune in for, especially if you've never seen it. I agree.
0: It brings you back to a very particular place and time, and there's a lot of interpretation you can do of it, which this we're is, about to do.
1: Yeah, this is one that we could potentially get on, like, a Sisterhood of the Traveling Pans level. Yes. If you listen to that episode. Yes.
0: We're we're always chasing the emotional high of the Sisterhood of the Traveling Fans <laughs> episode, let's be honest.
1: It's a rare, it was just, it was a fleeting moment. Serotonin. Yeah. So shall we get to it? Yeah.
0: All right, well, we will be back. We will discuss the matters at hand
2: very soon. All
1: right folks. We're back. We have witnessed cinematic history. We yeah. have history rather. Yes. And we're going to break it down. Yeah. And I'm- I
0: will I would just like to say before we get into mm-hmm. our uh, preset criteria that that every time we watch this movie, we discover something different. I don't know about every time. I felt like that time around, I uh, noticed way more things than I normally do. Mostly in the category of sentences that I did not hear clearly as a child and now can hear clearly.
1: Or I can say for you. Yes. (laughs) All right, so we're going to start out with things we appreciate more. Of course, we're biased because we love this movie, but
0: um, we will just try to... um, Give it a fair shake. Keep it engaging. Um, (laughs) I appreciated, I think especially after watching all of these movies this season, I really appreciated the chemistry between JoJo and Emma Roberts.
1: It can't be bought, you know? It cannot be bought in a store. And the the chemistry between everyone, I would say, actually, is pretty good. Yeah, it's definitely good. Especially with the... Semi intense age gaps we have going on. Yeah, I actually can't
0: tell how big the age gaps really are, but one of the things that always confuses me about this movie is that I think Cecilia is supposed to be like 16, which, first of all, she seems way older. But second of all, if they're only three years apart, because they say that Haley and Claire are 13 and she's 16, it just seems like a bigger gap than three years. But 13 to 16 is a particularly brutal it's a big gap. gap.
1: Yeah, it's only three years, but it's like a whole other world. Yes, it's true. For things I
0: appreciated, this, I was saying to Audrey when I was watching the movie that watching Aquamarine is like breathing. Like, I've seen it so many times, and it's really informed so much of my writing, especially, weirdly, as I've gotten older. As I was saying earlier, I always use it as a template, but when I was watching it today, I was like, there's a lot of themes in this movie that I feel like really like nestled in my heart yeah. and continue to inspire me to write things to this very day. For example, just like coming of age, projecting your grand ideals onto boys who don't necessarily know what they're getting into, things like that, yeah. which we'll, we'll come back to at the end. What did you appreciate about the movie
1: today? I have... Other than everything, I have two things. Okay. One being that I never realized somehow. This is just a situation where I was (laughs) too dumb when I first saw it and then only viewed the beginning in the same way for the rest of my life. I did not fully put it together that the opening shot and the opening credits, the underwater shots, (laughs) are... Aquamarine's point of view. Yes, I knew I could hear her voice, and I could hear her little like
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> well we have that pitch memorized. Yeah,
1: but it wasn't until the camera like got all up in a fish's face, <laughs> and then <laughs> and then the the voiceover goes, "Hello," and I never realized the light that. bulb went off. Yeah, the light bulb went off, and I was like, oh, "It's her POV." <laughs> yes, and then. The other thing I appreciate is that the only person that the lens of the camera sexualizes is a Raymond.
0: (laughs) Yes, and it's unrelenting, which actually does bring me to one thing that I really appreciate about this movie is that whether it knows that it's doing it or not, I feel like it does a very respectful yet consistent job of treating Raymond in, like, highly objectified way that female love interests are treated in like comedies constantly yeah which is like they're nice and non-offensive and really attractive but they like don't really have personality traits or yeah. goals or interests they're <laughs> and just that's not
1: what we care about
0: yeah but I feel like you like Raymond and you don't think that he's like an airhead or anything no. which is different than how a lot of women are portrayed but mm-hmm. I just think that it does a really tasteful job of being like this man is hot but we um,
1: We appreciate him as a person. We appreciate his mind. (laughs) Smart king. Smart king. (laughs) Humble king. Shout out to Elizabeth Rosenbaum for that. Yes. And the
0: writer. And we also talked about how this movie does not sexualize any of the girls.
1: No. With the way that it's shot. Even when that's how they want to be portrayed. Yeah. Or perceived by Raymond. The camera does not reflect that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it now makes sense to me that this movie
0: was reviewed by Christianity Today because aside from the fact that they do look naked at the end when they're sitting on the surfboard, <laughs> yeah. it, like, actually is a pretty wholesome.
1: It's very wholesome. Fair, The most wholesome, but under the guise of, like, fun teen fantasy. Like right. Fun. <laughs> fun. I said fun twice. Yes. <laughs>
0: I also appreciate that this movie... While it seems like it doesn't pass
1: the Bechdel test at first, meaning that... They don't talk about things other than Raymond. Yeah.
0: Like, it's never actually about Raymond.
1: No. And it
0: totally does pass. It does pass, but there's moments where you think that... Like, if I think if you watched it once and then you looked back on it, you might be like, oh, yeah, it was all about Raymond. But, like, Raymond is just a symbol. Everybody loves Raymond. (laughs) (laughs) Raymond is a symbol of them getting to stay children together. And not move on. What? We'll come back to it. Bring it again. <laughs> we'll come back to it at the end. I also appreciated that even though the film did treat him like an untouchably baby man guy, I thought it was really funny and accurate that, like, for example, if you think of, like, The Sandlot. Have you seen The Sandlot? Not recently. Okay, well there's a very similar dynamic in The Sandlot where all the boys love this like hot female lifeguard and they fake... One of the boys fakes drowning to get mouth-to-mouth from her. Mm-hmm. And then as she's doing it, he, like, wakes up and is like, hey, hey, gotcha. Ew. Yeah, and it's really creepy. And this movie does, like, the exact opposite of that, which is, like, yeah. they avoid talking to him because they're like, no, 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 we don't want you to, like, see us and, like, interact with us because we're awkward and young and you're hot and older. It's and realistic. It's way more realistic. And I feel like it's also just true. If Not to get super gendered, but... If I'm being very gendered, it's accurate of how young girls and boys act in general. Yeah,
1: I, and I don't think the situation that you're describing in the Sandlot would, like, almost ever happen. Like, like Well, right. I mean, I agree, but I think, like, the fact
0: that those are the modeled behaviors in movies yeah, is noteworthy.
1: It's not good.
0: Yeah. And even if that just means that when boys are hanging out together, they're like, I'm going to fake mouth to mouth so she'll make out with me. Like... Even that kind of talk, as we know, can mm-hmm. be damaging. So. Yes. Okay. Things that are worse now, or things that I just noticed that I hadn't noticed before. Aquamarine's personality. Changes so heavily based off of whether she's in water or out of water, particularly just at the beginning and the end.
1: Like the only time she's in water, other than the bathtub or the water tower, yeah, which like isn't real, isn't real water. For she's her. she just seems very like in control and
0: reasonable in the ocean, which I guess does make sense. It
1: actually adds up, but character-wise, like
0: too nuanced of a character choice for this movie.
1: I don't know. I think I'm gonna go with that. You buy into it? I think I'm going to go that it's on purpose. (laughs) I just wish
0: that she had a little bit more of that personality. On land. Yes.
1: Yeah, we were kind of saying, like, what if she's, like, dizzy on land? (laughs) Yeah, she's
0: just, like, partially asphyxiated the whole time. She's just, like, losing it. It would would track with the logic of the situation, I think.
1: The only other thing I have for worse now or just more clearly registered now, is how badly the end of Cecilia's storyline ends. I mean, it's not even her storyline, really. She figures out that Aquamarine is a mermaid, gets embarrassed in front of her dad and the news by (laughs) trying to expose her for being a mermaid. And then when Aqua and Ray are on the pier... She just randomly appears basically after Aqua asks Ray if she loves him. And he says no, because they've only been on one date. Uh-huh. Cecilia just shows up out of nowhere, pushes Aquamarine off <laughs> the pier, and then screams, She's a fish, and then runs away. And we get this reverse shot of the entire length of the pier. You see Haley, Claire, and Ray. And Cecilia is just gone. And this is literally the next shot. So not only does she not get a wrap-up, that's the last time we see her, but she also literally disappears in the continuity. Like, it
0: doesn't work. And the reason why that is, and we know this because we've watched a lot of behind-the-scenes content, is that the scene where Aqua ends up in the ocean originally ended really differently, which was basically when Raymond says that he can't love her for her— She's like, well, how could you if you don't even know the real me? So then she throws herself off the pier to be like, I'm a mermaid. Do you love me now? Yeah. Which who knows what that draft of the script would have been. I would love to see it.
1: I think it would have just ended the same. It would have ended like, well, obviously I need to like go home, take care of my p- family. Like for Aquamarine, she would have been like, I belong in the ocean. Like same same thing. Well, but do you, but my question
0: is, do you think that it would have been Raymond and Aqua out on the buoy him saying, I can't love you. And then are Haley and Claire there already to say that they love her? Like, how how does she end up proving that love exists? Same way. But because. But, but she would have had to have gotten the closure from Ray. But I guess what? So Haley and Claire would have said that they loved her before Ray gets the chance to talk yeah, to her. Yeah, like
1: literally, Ray would have shown up late still. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like. She dives into the ocean herself, but then the current starts, and she starts getting pulled away. Ray's like, I'm going to go get my surfboard, and the same, it in- goes down the same M- you exact You mean way. Um,
0: rescue board. Yeah, rescue board. <laughs> he needs his rescue board.
1: <laughs> Which I think that's a stronger choice just because we, it doesn't work to have Cecilia do that. I feel like Cecilia's story
0: was buttoned pretty well by her getting humiliated. Same. And her car getting taken away, which is her only thing she has in this movie.
1: Yeah. And I think that it kind of seems like they literally shot it the original way and then Mm -hmm. changed it. I agree. Because in the cut, like, shot-wise, I think that's what adds up. Yeah. And based off of the way that Raymond and
0: Aqua interact in the end— Yeah. I think that you're right. I think that that would have made sense.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Because he's so like, I accept you kind of thing. Yeah, he's like, I don't know how to ask him to made out. Yeah. (laughs) It's not.
0: He's not repulsed at all. No. Or freaked out.
1: Accepting King.
0: (laughs) We could could go on forever.
1: (laughs) So, as for the which elements are dated and or problematic section, there's very few... Overall, Mm -hmm. since Mm -hmm. it is fantasy, you kind of can get away with more, but it's also just like not pushing boundaries in that way. No, it's not trying to be edgy, literally at all. No, but it is very white.
0: It is very white. There's one. Literally one line. There's one black person with a speaking line, and he says, Here you go, man.
1: It's a. And then one of Cecilia's
0: friends looks to be. Asian. Asian, yeah. That's
1: but it. that's it. So that, there's that. I mean, that's unnecessary. Yeah, it's also, I feel like
0: Florida's pretty segregated though.
1: Right, but like they weren't in Florida. <laughs> but they're supposed to be. But it's a movie, you know? Yeah. Representation is more important than like what would realistically They just didn't care then. No, they did not. Yeah.
0: There was only one fat joke. Which was surprising because normally these movies have a lot more. It's when Cecilia tells her friend to put away her negativity, like she put away all the corn dogs at the street fair,
1: <laughs> which, and then yeah. they leave
0: her in the dust at the water tower. So she gets her she gets desserts. what
1: she deserves. Um, I don't know. I think honestly, it,
0: it deal it deals with such little non super safe content that. There's not much to say here. But I am happy to say that, like, magazine advice about catching boys still holds up 14 years later. What do you mean? Like, the fact that, like, canned advice on how to get boys from magazines isn't, like, super dated now.
1: Is it not?
0: Like, it is, but it's not dated in, like, the way where it's, like... Oh, that's embarrassing or offensive or something like
1: that. Oh no, it's just it's just dumb, but it's not like offensive, <laughs> right? I mean, it could be. I'm it sure probably some will of them be are. eventually,
0: but we haven't. Our brains haven't evolved to that point yet. Oh,
1: I've seen lots of like vintage, you know, yeah, Two thousand six
0: is not vintage. no, but like.
1: There is a lot of, like, bad and offensive advice in in those magazines. Have you ever watched,
0: have you ever gotten service that ASMR 50s housewife video? I've watched
1: it, like, a billion times. (laughs) I'll send it to
0: you. (laughs) Um, Okay, what's our next category?
1: Um, Is it a good movie? Absolutely. Definitively, yes. Absolutely.
0: This is a matriarchal film, first of all. Aqua's whole thing is that she's trying to prove her dad wrong because she doesn't want to get married off to a weirdo. Does she try to prove her point through a man? Yes. However, ultimately, it doesn't need to be that way. But one thing that I find interesting about this movie is that Aqua, as a person, as the character, is the inciting incident.
1: Like, she's not the main character. No, she's not the main character, which they don't end with her, so.
0: They don't end with her, but I just really admire the way that this movie handles two to three protagonists. Like, Mm -hmm. it actually handles all of the main characters, like, arcs pretty well, I think. There is a
1: deep – there are some gay undertones to this (gasps) movie. (laughs) So much. Which everybody just wants – Haley and Claire to like each other. Yeah. And even
0: if it's, it's also interesting because it's like they do love each other so much, but it's not that you necessarily want to see them together romantically, but I think it's like they have such a pure affection and devotion to each other as friends, but also like as being each other's person. Yeah. That's what makes it so hard to, to see them, to see them part at goodbye. the end. Which, We will come back to you because seriously saddest endings of life. Um, But I think that their whole obsession with Ray is a lot more about them having something to bond over and like to attach importance to that. Helps them not think about the fact that mm-hmm. Haley has to move or not think about the fact that Claire has all these outstanding psychological issues <laughs> yeah. she's not taken care of because her parents dying. And it's, like, a very simple thing that distracts them from the fact that there's, like, actually hard stuff going on in their lives. Mm-hmm. Like, they both have abandonment issues. Yeah. And they're clearly really codependent. But when yeah. you're younger, you can't really tell that that's what it is. And basically the end of the movie is them breaking their cycle of codependence. Yeah. Not, not only because they separate, but because they get through really important arguments about, like, how their friendship is set up. Mm-hmm. And they, like, still love each other anyway.
1: And they choose not to manipulate <sighs> reality and use right. their wish. Yes. they. So basically
0: in the end they do end up getting their wish from Aqua because they do prove that love exists. But they – have grown up so much that they are not going to bend the rules of the universe to stay together because they realize that they have to grow. Yeah. They have to separate to grow. Yeah. And, like, Haley has moments of realizing that she can't just shit all over her mom's professional aspirations of being, like, this marine biologist yeah. who's, like, saving the water. For the
1: fish and yeah. aquamarine indirectly. Yes. Because Aquamarine um says that the water tastes way better now. Yes. Which is a nice touch. Yeah. And so that kind of connects them all to that theme.
0: I think the fact that Haley and Claire get so close to like not they're not making romantic contact with Raymond, but they're like puppeteering romantic contact with him is empowering to them in its own way, too. Yeah, like,
1: because to them, he's so unattainable. And it's, it's not even that they seriously, like, they don't see, it, they're not serious about wanting really to be with him themselves yeah. because they know that it's, like, a long shot and also would be weird if it happened. So, <laughs> so like, yeah.
0: yeah, like the shot where you see Emma Roberts yeah. and Raymond next to each other. It's and like...
1: they look like... They look, like, 15 years apart. Like, minimum, yeah. So, yeah, the fact that they're, like, realizing that they, like, kind of have that power is fun. Yes. And, of course, Raymond, his, like, last line is so, (laughs) is so, like, Oh, yeah, we we forgot. uh He goes you two are really cool or like you two are really impressive. Extraordinary. Even, yeah. You two are really extraordinary. I don't even know if I could have done what you guys did. Yeah. We also forgot to say that Raymond,
0: unfortunately, does tell Aqua that she's not like other girls at one point. Yeah.
1: But, you know, we can let it slide
0: for a humble <laughs> humble king. Because The one
1: strike against him. She literally isn't like yeah. other girls. Yeah,
0: You know, he does have his one moment at the beginning before the beach house is going off yeah. when he says, but you're hot, really hot. So there's that too. But
1: yeah, which is like, I just, I never felt like that was something Ray would say I right agree. off the bat. I agree. He seems douchey at the beginning, but he's yeah. not at all. No, he's
2: not at all. Multidimensional
1: Never. <laughs> We're, we will defend Ray until we die. Absolutely. And of course, our father's name is also Raymond, so that's weird. Double meaning. <laughs> Not double meaning. So that's uh, weird, but that
0: is weird. You, we, <laughs> that's just out there now. I wasn't thinking about that though,
1: because no one calls our dad Raymond. They call no, him Ray. but when I think of Re- how many people do you know named Raymond, one. one.
0: <laughs> anyway, why do you think that this movie is so emotional for you? The ending.
1: That's so rude. Well, I'll answer it too. You answer it first. No, you go first. No, you go. No, first. you go first. No, you go first. Well, please go first. I idea. literally don't know. I have to think. Okay, think I'm about sweating. It. Do you want me to go? Um, I think it's really easy to project yourself, and I mean potentially many people, other people, onto. You know, whichever girl you identify with more <laughs> is, like, you. And yeah. then the other person, the other girl is, like, it could be so many things or people in your life. Anybody you've had to say goodbye to or, you know, drift from or, like, I don't know. It just give, it gives you that, like, lump-in-your-throat feeling. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, I'm a person who gets a really nostalgic for places and people and just, like, eras in general. So, like, if I'm going to go travel or something, the night before I travel, it doesn't matter. I could literally hate, (laughs) hate, hate the place I'm at or, like, have been dreading where I've been at for, like, weeks. But the night before I leave, it's like, oh, that doorknob is so special. (laughs) Like, oh, that that couch and that and you know like you get that like weird feeling which I feel like is not it's not really often portrayed not hard to portray it it is hard to portray it because it's like such a mixed bag and um but that sort of feeling is what I get with the end of aquamarine yeah me too it can be very literal. Like, I could literally think of times I've said goodbye to friends, mm-hmm. even just for, like, a summer, and it was, like, the worst thing ever. And moving, that's yeah, moved, like, four or five times, mm-hmm. and it has that vibe for sure. Yeah, definitely. Similarly to
0: you, I think that we both have the era people nostalgia thing, like, even when times or chunks of time were not that good when they're happening, yeah. they're always really specific. Mm-hmm. And, like, when specificity or little things that do bring you joy, even if they're in, like, the midst of a lot of shit, like, go away and you know they can never happen again, like, that's really sad. It's, like, it it gives you this really strange sense of, like, the permanence of life and, like, the fact that things are actually... Well, right, but the, the permanence of time moving on, you know? Yeah. Like there's nothing you can do to... Stop things, or redo them, or wind them back. You can hear the first aid kit ruins playing, kind yeah. of like.
1: But in this specific scenario, the fact that they had the choice—right—that's what makes it so sad. That they had the choice to, you know, be selfish and codependent, yeah. and stay together because that's what they their knee jerk reaction was. Mm-hmm. But they chose not to. That's what makes it so sad. That's like I don't know. I don't know. That's growth. Like I don't know that I could say that I would do that if I had the opportunity. You know, it depends Mm -hmm. on the situation. But like, if I could have it my way, just because, and like, screw everybody else, like, would I do it or would you? Would I not? Yeah. You know,
0: it it kind of feels like a breakup where it's like when you outgrow someone.
1: Yeah. That's
0: what it feels like. And not even just a breakup, like a romantic breakup, but a friendship breakup. Mm -hmm. Like knowing that you're going to think about this person like every day for the rest of your life, but knowing that it's time to part and that it will be okay. Mm
1: -hmm. But
0: like the moment where you're like looking at that rift and you're like, wow, it's actually happening. That's what the end of this movie feels like.
1: mm Mm-hmm. But I guess this one's hard because it's, like, I don't necessarily feel that they've outgrown each other. They just have to. The the tides of life are pulling them apart. Yeah, the tide. And, exactly. And it's not that they've necessarily outgrown each other, but it's, like, they have no,
0: they have no choice. choice. And
1: that, I think it also encapsulates a lot of what is
0: the worst about being a kid and what is the best about being a kid, which is that you don't have control. yeah. And like you just have to roll with the punches and like whatever happens to you is really formative, but it's about like how you handle change, not about the changes themselves.
1: Yeah, it kind (laughs) of (laughs) sucks. You've got no say in the matter.
0: Yeah, but I mean, if I think back to times when we moved, I there's not a single move I look back on now and think it was. Well, no, I mean you
1: can't think that way anyway, because you don't know where you would be had it not gone down the way it did. Yeah. But Yeah, I mean, the moves are always like painful, but not painful, but you know, nostalgic and sad, but mm-hmm. it's just a necessary part of life. Yeah. So like if you can if you can kind of adjust to that and like learn how to deal with it, you're just going to have an easier time.
0: <laughs> I think I think also considering that this is the last episode of our first season, I think that A big part of why this movie is so precious to us on top of everything is that it really, even with its campy moments and, like, with its issues, it creates such a consistent emotional tone that I think has been really inspiring for me, obviously, and I think for you, too. And this is the kind of movie, like, again, it was not rated highly, but it's made such a big impact on us, and it's, like – inspired us to go into creating things as people like I think Mm -hmm. that this movie is like one of at least for me weirdly I feel like it's one of the big ones
1: I don't know if it was for me or not but like just because I've never created anything like it but um Mm -hmm. that's not because I wouldn't want to it's just because I'm not a writer yeah well I just I guess I just am
0: trying to say that the impact of these sort of movies should not be underrated because you never know who's watching them, what experience they're bringing to the table, and, like, the stuff that you watch when you're 12, when it affects you, it really, really
1: affects you. Yeah, I mean, I would love to go all Mr. Rogers on this, you know, like, Mr. Rogers actually would have, well, I don't know that he would approve of any of this content, but, <laughs> you know, he definitely did believe that the most important thing like, thing that you could show. Well, first of all, he hated just all the buffoonery (laughs) and the shenanigans in children's content and children's television. And, like, he valued the lessons that were shown through the media to children. Mm -hmm. And, like, I agree. Like, it couldn't be more important to, like, be able to communicate. That's, like, the lesson of Aquamarine is complex. It is complex. And it's not even something that Kids could necessarily regurgitate after,
0: consciously understand, but like
1: to feel that emotion is the most important thing. Yeah, and then they can continue to unpack it.
0: (laughs) Good luck, kids, (laughs) throughout their life, (laughs) as we are doing now. Yeah. Um. So I think we've said our piece on now. Yeah, I think so. But I do. I will say that this movie gives me similar growing apart vibes as. Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants does. Yeah. But Sisterhood is on the denial of growing up, and that's what makes it so sad.
1: And Aquamarine brings you back to reality. Yes,
0: Aquamarine embraces time moving forward, or as Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants is, like, desperately denying it.
1: Yeah, which is its own fantasy. Which is why it's so sad, in my opinion. But let's not get back into that. If you want to hear about that
0: take, go Go back back to episode two. But honestly, to wrap it all up, if you've been with us this whole time, this whole season, um, we really, really appreciate you and your thoughts and your input and your experiences with these movies. And, um, Audrey, thank you for spending all this time with me. Oh,
1: my gosh. In this four-foot by two-foot closet. <laughs> As we're, like, fanning ourselves. It's
0: been a joy and a pleasure. Yes. Um, so we will be back. As long as you'll have us uh, for season two at some date in the future. Let us know. Oh, let us Listen know. us how soon you want that. Um, and until then. Watch Aquamarine. Watch Aquamarine. Keep sending us your ideas and suggestions. And maybe uh, maybe we'll make it like a group curation of the set for next time around. But, Audrey, I will miss sitting in the closet. I will miss sitting in the closet with you watching these movies Oh talking yes. talking about them
1: me too period <laughs> period <laughs> what
0: else can we say I mean I think that's it we just don't it's like the end of Aquamarine we don't
1: want to we don't want to walk away we don't want to walk away we gotta yeah. do the last look we gotta do the hug moment and then slowly yeah part and enter our homes yes <laughs> fade to black Finn. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> you can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at TupingPictures.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at pictures, and would love to hear from you there.
0: And if you like the show, if it brings back evocative memories of childhood or tweendom or babysitting, share an episode of your choice with your friends. And maybe even leave us an iTunes review telling us what movie you'd like to see us cover next. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts and is edited and produced by me, Hannah Ray Leach. Special thanks to mixing engineer Sean Rule Hoffman and executive producers Michael D'Aloia and David Moss. Our show music is by Josh Perlman Hall.
1: We'll chat again soon. Bye. I feel
0: connected, protected. Do you? <laughs> uh, it's 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 debatable. How connected or protected I actually feel. <laughs> do do you really? <laughs>
1: do. You? So. You feel connected, protected. All right, maestro.
2: Thanks so much for checking it out.
0: This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.